Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Reflect. And all throughout the series, we're talking about what you and I can do to do a better job of reflecting Jesus in and through our lives. But in this episode, we're going to be talking about one of the major obstacles that keeps us from reflecting Jesus in our lives. And we're going to see that we cannot reflect Jesus when we're busy focusing on ourselves. And we end up focusing on ourselves out of selfishness and jealousy. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about not only why that keeps us from reflecting Jesus, but what we can do about it. So let's get right into this episode's sermon. about why you picked out that particular book. 
So maybe you picked out the last book that you've read or that you bought because you judged that book by its cover and you fell victim to some fancy graphics they, they put on the dust jacket before they put it on bookshelves. Or maybe you had a friend that personally recommended and said, hey, you should really read this particular book. Or maybe, like I already mentioned, you saw the author giving an interview uh, on a morning show that made you want to buy that book. Or maybe you just found something that interested you, and because it interested you, it was a subject matter that you were interested in, you decided to go ahead and buy that book. Now, for me, over the years, there have been a whole lot of different reasons why I have bought books. And it includes everything that I've just mentioned and so many more. But more recently, I have found that there's really one thing, one primary factor that motivates me to buy a book more than anything else these days. And it's not the fancy advertisements that get run for books sometimes. It's not even personal recommendations. The one factor that influences me to buy a book more than anything else these days is what I know about the author of that book. Now, my most recent purchase is a great example of that. I told you the most recent book that I bought was written by Philip Yancey. And I have been a fan of Philip Yancey for a long time. I've been reading his book since I was actually in college. So I've been reading these books to, for more than 20 years. Influence that shaped me more than anything else. Uh, some of his books like What's So Amazing About Grace or The Jesus I Never Knew are books that have shaped the way that I think about God. But more than anything else, what I truly appreciate about his books is every time I pick up one of Philip Yancey's books, I know that he's going to be wrestling with his faith. He's going to be trying to make his faith his own. And because I know something about Philip Yancey's story, it makes me willing to listen to anything that he has to say on the subject about the journey of faith. And I found that's really the interesting thing about books. It doesn't matter what type of book you're reading, what genre it may come from. It doesn't really even matter how many times you've read the book before. I found that you can't fully appreciate a book unless you know something about its author. You can't fully appreciate a book unless you know something about its author. And that brings us to today at Melbourne Heights. Today at Melbourne Heights, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Reflect, where we're thinking about what you and I can do to do a better job of reflecting Jesus in and through our lives. And to help us, well, and the reason why we've been talking about this is because the only way that others will find Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. The only way that other people will ever find Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. So, help us figure out how we can do a better job of reflecting Jesus in and through our lives. We've been taking a closer look at one particular book of the Bible throughout the sermon series. And that's the book of James. But even though we spent some time digging deeper into the book of James each Sunday during the sermon series, we really haven't spent a lot of time talking about James. So today seems like a great chance for us to learn a little bit more about this author, to see what James's life can teach us to help us be better followers of Jesus and to better appreciate what he writes. So, what do you know about James? Well, at this point, there should be at least a couple of things that you know about James. First, you should know that there is a book in the Bible that is named after a guy named James. And based on that alone, you can make the assumption that the guy named James wrote that book of the Bible. And if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, you've heard me say that the James who wrote the book in the Bible called James isn't just any James. This is James the half-brother 
of Jesus. That means that this James is Mary and Joseph's son. But even though I've told you that James is Jesus' half-brother, we haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about what it would be like to grow up with Jesus as an older sibling. What do you think that would be like if Jesus was your older brother? Now, as somebody who has a couple older brothers myself, I can tell you that it's not always easy growing up in the shadow of older siblings. And that's just for ordinary siblings, okay? Jesus is James's older brother. So tell me, how many times do you think James heard either Mary or Joseph say, James, why can't you be more like your old brother when he was growing up? Probably heard it all the time. Sick and tired of it. But I think that there is one particular incident that takes place in James's life and Jesus's life that shows us just how influential it was for Jesus to be James's older brother. And you find this incident uh, written about in three different books inside of the Bible. And that tells us that this is probably a pretty important story for us to hear. But instead of taking the time to read about all three of these accounts, I really want us to focus in on just one of these accounts. And that's the one that's found in the book of Matthew. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 12 with me. And as you're finding it, let me just remind you that the book of Matthew is essentially a biography of Jesus. So in the book of Matthew, you will find stories about Jesus' birth and his baptism. You can read stories about Jesus' ministry and the miracles that he performed. And you can read about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. But in the account that we're going to be reading today, we're going to look at a pretty unusual, pretty strange encounter between Jesus and his family. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12 together. We're going to start reading in verse 46. Here's what Matthew writes. He says, while Jesus was speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside trying to speak with him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting to speak with you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He stretched out his hands toward the disciples and said, look, here are my mother, here and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear your older brother say that of you? I mean, this is somebody that you grew up with. This is somebody who slept in this bed right next to you at night. This is somebody that you used to run around and play tag with in the backyard. This is somebody that you used to giggle with every time that your mom burned dinner. This is somebody that you used to share your secrets with after the lights got turned out at night. But in this passage, Jesus says it's none of those things that make someone his brother. Instead, Jesus says that whoever does the will of my Father is my brother. Whoever does the will of my Father is my brother. And this statement makes a profound this statement is going to change James's life and the way that he perceives himself forever. This statement is going to cause James to go from just being biologically related to Jesus to being a true brother of Jesus. This statement is going to be enough to cause James to give and devote his entire life, all of himself, to following the will of God. And that ultimately allows James to become a leader 
last couple of weeks, we have already seen the kind of leader that James becomes in the early church. And we see that James is the kind of leader who wants us all as followers of Jesus to know that we are supposed to live different than other people in the world around us. And we are supposed to live different than the world around us because we are supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. But that's not all that James wants us to know. James is also the kind of leader who understands that there are going to be times when we get it wrong. James is the kind of leader that knows there are going to be times when all of us mess up. James is the kind of leader that knows that there are going to be times when we all put ourselves first and we don't really think about the kingdom of God at all. And it's because of all of this that James writes what he writes in the passage that we're going to be looking at in the book of James today. So again, if you've got your Bible, flip over to James chapter 3 with me. We're going to start reading in James chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what James writes. He says, Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with, hum- with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something that you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something that you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will run from you. Come near to God. God will come near. Now, i got to tell you that this passage that we just read is a passage of Scripture that has fascinated me for a long, long time. And this is a passage that has fascinated me for a long, long time because James is writing this passage to Christians. He's writing this passage to followers of Jesus. He's writing this passage to people like us. And if there have ever been a group of people who are supposed to be able to set aside our selfish ambitions... It's us as followers of Jesus. If there have ever been people who are supposed to be able to set aside our own preferences and desires, it's supposed to be us as followers of Jesus. It's supposed to be the church. Because after all, everyone who's a follower of Jesus, we know everything that God has given us. We know that God gave us His Son, that He sent Jesus into this world to lay down His life for us, to forgive us of our sins, so that nothing can separate us from God. It's like Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, when Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And because you are not your own, because you were bought at a price, what this means is that you get the opportunity to serve something that is so much bigger, so much greater, so much higher than you are. Because you are not your own, because God bought you at a price, you have the chance to serve the kingdom of God. And when you have the chance to serve the kingdom of God, that should mean that you're willing to set aside your selfish ambitions, that you should be willing to set aside your preferences and your desires to build the kingdom of God. But we all know that that's not always the way that it works in the church. Unfortunately, there are plenty of times in the history of the church that instead of coming together to build the kingdom of God, we've gotten caught up in some pretty petty arguments instead. But I know of a church that got into an argument over something pretty petty when they were trying to figure out what color carpet they were going to put down as they were renovating their sanctuary space. 
About half the people in the church wanted blue carpet in the sanctuary. About half the people wanted orange carpet in the sanctuary. I think they were all crazy. He wants blue or orange carpet in the sanctuary. That's okay. But these two groups, they could never come together and make a decision. So ultimately, this church split. And you had one church that had blue carpet in the sanctuary, one church that had orange carpet in the sanctuary. And the really funny thing is that about 10 years later, when the carpet was worn out and it was time to replace it again, both the blue carpet church and the orange carpet church put the exact same gray colored carpet in their sanctuary space. Now, I've already told you I'm an avid reader, so I've read through the Bible multiple times over the years. And I can honestly tell you this. I have never once run across a passage of Scripture that tells you what color carpet you're supposed to put down inside of your church. But for the folks in this one church, the color of the carpet mattered more than the work that they could do together to build the kingdom of God. Because of that, the church split. Which means they divided their time. They divided their talents. They divided their resources. And the kingdom of God suffered because of it. The kingdom of God suffered because people cared more about carpet color than they cared about God's kingdom. And I can say how ridiculous is that. But we all know that we've been caught up in arguments that can be every bit as ridiculous ourselves over the years. But in the passage that we just read in the book of James, James explains why this happens in the first place. James tells these petty arguments come from a place of selfishness or jealousy. And these are two problems that James witnessed firsthand as he was leading the early church. These are two problems, selfishness and jealousy, that almost destroyed the church before the church ever took root. Because when James was writing this letter, the majority of people who were Christians were converts from Judaism. And as people were converting to Christianity from Judaism, they wanted to continue to follow the same practices that they had followed in their faith up to that point while they were following Jesus. And that wasn't a big deal at the beginning, but it became a big deal as more and more Gentile or non-Jewish believers started joining the church. And as more and more non-Jewish believers, more Gentiles started joining the church, the Jewish Christians expected the Gentile Christians to follow the same rules that they had been following all along. So they started arguing about these things. But James, James could see through all of the arguments, and he realized that what this argument was about had nothing to do with following Jesus. And what this argument was about had nothing to do with building the kingdom of God. And so James saw through all of it, he realized that this argument was all about selfishness. He saw that the Jewish Christians wanted the Gentile Christians to be just like them. And they expected the Gentile Christians to make the changes that were necessary. Well, they didn't have to change anything at all. But James sees through all of these arguments. In spite of the religious language, they try to dress up all of these arguments in. And in Acts chapter 15, James cuts to the heart of the matter. When he tells his fellow believers this, James says, fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up from them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this, as it is written. After this I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down. I will restore it so that the rest of humanity will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who belong to me. The Lord says this, the one who does these things, known from the earliest times, 
Therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. So right now, at Melbourne Heights, we are talking about what each of us can do to do a better job of reflecting Jesus in our lives. But from what we've heard from James today, James is pointing out a major problem that keeps us all from really accurately reflecting Jesus in our lives. In the passages that we've read, James shows us that as long as we're focused on ourselves, we can't reflect Jesus. As long as we're focused on ourselves, we can't reflect Jesus. So James tells us that we have to put ourselves aside. James tells us that we need to be willing to serve We need to be selfless in order to build the kingdom of God. James tells us that we need to put our faith to work to build the kingdom of God together. But we all know that the church has a history of fighting rather than coming together to build the kingdom of God. We've all seen this play out. Over the years, the church has argued about everything from our style of worship to the role of women inside of our church. Over the years, the church has argued about everything from abortion to LGBT rights. Over the years, the church has argued about everything from what version of the Bible we're supposed to read when we worship together to the color of carpet we're going to put down in our sanctuary these days. But why? Why do we fight about these things that divide us when there is so much more that unites us? Why do we fight about these things that divide us when there is so much more that unites us? Seriously, does it really matter if the church down the street agrees with you on every theological point when we can all agree that the hungry should be fed? Does it really matter who the person sitting in the worship space behind you today is going to vote for in November's election when we can all agree that every kid should have a present at Christmas time? Does it really matter if you prefer one style of music and I prefer a different style of music when all of us can agree that the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus and know that God loves them? Why do we argue? Why do we fight about these things that divide us when there is so much more that unites us? Here's the truth. Being a Christian isn't about you getting your way. It's not about me getting my way. Being a Christian isn't about being bitter or backstabbing each other. Being a Christian means that we reflect Christ. Being a Christian means that we reflect Christ. Period. If we're going to reflect Jesus in and through our lives, that means that we have to be selfless. And we have to be willing to serve others. If we are going to reflect Jesus in our lives, that means that we have to look past the things that divide us and find those things that unite us. If we are going to reflect Jesus in and through our lives, that means that we have to put our differences aside so that we can build the kingdom of God together. Because ultimately, we cannot reflect Jesus if we're busy arguing can't reflect Jesus if we're busy arguing with each other. So we need to put aside what divides us. We need to come together to be the people that God has called us to be. We need to 
reflect Jesus in this world. Because other people are never going to find Jesus unless they see Jesus in you. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, you know that the church has an unfortunate history of putting ourselves first and putting your kingdom last. You know that over the years that every single church has gotten caught up in petty arguments over things that ultimately don't matter. And because of the lack of grace that we show each other, we are driving people farther and farther away from you. Because God, the truth is that when we're busy fighting, we don't reflect who you are in this world. So God, my prayer for everyone that can hear my voice right now is that you show us those things that unite us. That we are united by you by your love, by your grace, by your mercy. So let us set aside many arguments. Let us come together to build your kingdom. Because there is nothing greater that we can do than to lead other people to you. But that's not going to happen if we're only worried about ourselves. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to set your selfishness aside, to set aside your wants and your desires so that we can build the kingdom of God together. Well, in our next episode, we're going to be finishing up the sermon series, so we hope that you'll come back and join us when that next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app, and you don't have to wait till next Tuesday. You can also come and worship with us any Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you come and worship with us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.